1: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett.
2: John Mack, I think he had Stockholm Syndrome. He actually believed literally the stories of his patients, that they were abducted by aliens. And so he said, oh, well, this, this this is not mental disorder. This is not mental illness. This is real. I've discovered something amazing. And he wrote a book called Abductions and made lots and lots of money. But the more I I study psychology, the more I think the people that, that he's dealt with and the other people actually could fit into a hysterical neurosis, especially what's called dissociative disorder.
0: If you enjoy Conspiracy Unlimited, why not become a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member? For just $1.99 per month, you'll gain access to two bonus, exclusive, commercial-free episodes per month, plus access to my back catalog of episodes. To subscribe, just go to ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com and click on Gain Access to Premium Episodes. Again, go to ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com and click on Get access to premium episodes, or click on the link in the episode notes. Conspiracy Unlimited Plus, for less than $2 per month. Why not sign up today?
1: Conspiracy Unlimited, with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption.
0: Randall Montgomery has the analytical mind of a lawyer, and he has tackled the UFO ET issue in a book that's only about 35 years in the making. It's called Aliens and UFOs, Physical, Psychic, or Social Reality, with a foreword by Nick Pope. Randall applies psychology, psychiatry, sociology, and law to the topic of alien abductions and UFO sightings. He analyzes alleged abductions from various psychological perspectives, including Carl Jung, recent experiments of Professor Persinger, hysterical neurosis, sleep paralysis, and concluding with Dr. Montgomery's own new diagnosis of UFO neurosis. He strongly criticizes the likes of uh, John Mack, David Jacobs, and Bud Hopkins' books, and the biased and what he calls the incompetent use of hypnosis as an investigative tool. He notes the similarities between reported contacts with space aliens and with angels. And he summarizes a dozen of the best quality UFO sightings and surveys, the aviation history of a Nazi, Canadian, and U.S. flying saucers, and analyzes the sudden and bizarre cancellation and destruction of the Avro Aero C-105 interceptor program in the cover-up context. Uh, it's a, uh, a book, as I say, 35 years in the making, and it's a, a great pleasure to welcome Randall Montgomery. How are you, Randall?
2: Thanks, Richard. It's great to be in the nerve center of strangeplanet.ca.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I don't allow a lot of people into the studio, so, uh, oh. you're, uh, <laughs> so you're, uh, you're quite welcome. Thank you for coming in. Now, it's interesting, uh, and as Nick, Nick Pope points out in his foreword, so much of the literature in UFOs out there really borders on It's very new agey, it's it's become a pseudo-religion, and here you are with this legal analytical mind approaching the subject. Not a lot of lawyers that are writing about ufology. What possessed you
2: as a lawyer? Well, actually, um, I'm also a sociologist, and I was doing my Ph.D. in sociology when I first got into this back in 1979, so I'm, I'm looking at it not just from a legal perspective, but from a sociological perspective, and I also have a degree in psychology, and I worked at two mental institutions, so I'm also looking at it from a psychological perspective. But you're not a debunker, are you? I wouldn't oh, call you a
0: debunker. <laughs> a, skeptic, a skeptic, but not a debunker.
2: You see when it when it comes to alien abductions i I just don't believe they exist. and I think this is a real shame for the people who are suffering because there are a lot of people out there who are traumatized and they've been led to believe that they have been abducted by space aliens right And you mentioned the three authors in particular, the the uh, usual suspects <laughs> so in that in that sense, I'm a debunker, but when it comes to sightings of strange craft that can't be explained, I'm I'm um, I'm with Nick Pope. Let's just put it that way. There, there there's, there's been so many excellent sightings uh over the years that just can't be explained. If I, if I can hold this up to the camera, this is an excellent book here. Is that the proper place to yes, hold it? Yes, yes. Strange guys. Uh, J- yeah. Jerome Clark is a, is a well-known ufologist and I really hope people would buy this book because it's just packed full of detailed sightings by military pilots and commercial pilots with thousands of hours and, and other very credible witnesses of just amazing things.
0: well and, and I, I think people like Richard Dolan uh, he's done an exceptional job at uncovering uh, you know government documents mm-hmm. that show that that governments around the world, particularly in the United States, uh, they're concerned about you know these incursions into airspace. Uh, you know, well-documented encounters, uh, with, with fighter pilots and, and, and so forth. Uh, but somewhere along the line, we, uh, you know, and the good people at MUFON who are still, you know, they're interested in just, you know, show me the facts, tell me what you saw. Yes. Somewhere along the lines, we, we jumped, leapfrogged into, uh, okay, we don't know what these things are, but now all of a sudden, uh, we're being told that they are, uh, you know we know exactly what star system they've come from uh they're interacting with uh, with humans they're here to save us from ourselves. They have the you know the the answers to cancer and global warming and it well, has also become... the
2: negative stuff where they're supposedly interbreeding with us and trying to take over and that there are uh, human alien clones running around. It's very dark.
0: Right. Where did it go off the rails though? Uh... I think
2: it started in 1961 with Fuller's book, The Interrupted Journey, with Betty and Barney Hill supposedly being abducted by aliens in a flying saucer. And well, I... their niece was just on the program. Um, um... Is that right? Yeah. I didn't realize that. But anyway, um, I think that's where it, it went off the rails. And I, I'm very opposed to this abduction stuff because it's detracted from the credibility of the disclosure movement. It's taken, um, it's made it very difficult for anyone to approach the topic from a scientific objective viewpoint because now, as soon as you mention the topic, people roll their eyes unless they're you know in that camp of, of fanatical believers. So I think it's very hard to get governments to disclose the information they have about unidentified flying objects when so many people in ufology now are into this alien abduction thing. It makes us all look like quacks. Now,
0: one of the things that you and Nick Pope share in, also share in common is your belief that one of the best documented cases of an actual... UFO sighting would be the Rendlesham Forest incident, uh, which happened over Christmas 1980. So 35, 30, almost 30, well, going on 36 years ago. Now, for those not familiar with the, the Rendlesham Forest incident, just give us a thumbnail sketch of what happened at this joint RAF, U.S. Air Force Base, Bentwaters uh, in the and, South, in
2: Woodbridge, yes. Yeah. Well, it was December 26th. We call it Boxing Day for our American listeners, December 26th. And some strange lights were sighted. I'm going to try and make this very brief. Yeah. And uh, some people went out there, some U.S. Air Force security officers, to see what it was. And one of them, named Sergeant Jim Peniston, actually touched the object and he made drawings of it. And it was uh, kind of a triangular-shaped thing that had kind of a mini pyramid on top. It was about three meters long, two meters wide, about two, two, two meters tall. And it, it, it rose up and took off. And uh, this was uh, also witnessed by uh, the other guys that were with them. And they all wrote reports within a week to Lieutenant Halt, Lieutenant Colonel Halt, so it was pretty well documented. We have the sketches. We've got the official reports made to the U.S. Air Force by their security people within eight days. So it's, it's, I think it's, it's a really very, very interesting case. And I get very upset when people call it Britain's Roswell because Roswell was just a balloon. There was nothing unusual at Roswell. So to call this Rendlesham case which was very well documented Britain's Roswell is is you know it's kind of reversing things
0: interesting um so you actually would put Rendlesham above Roswell in terms of uh, I would
2: put Roswell in the toilet <laughs> wow <laughs> I mean there's just there's. Show me one square centimeter of an alien spacecraft from Roswell. I mean, people have been researching this for 68, 69 years. There's nothing there. It's, it's very well – here's a book by Carl Flock, who is a former CIA agent, and he was an assistant deputy secretary of defense for the U.S. government. If anybody can write a book, it's him. And he ended up reversing his earlier opinions and concluding it really was just a Project Mogul balloon. And it was ultra top secret. It was uh, 1A because at the time it, it was measuring Russian-Soviet uh, mili- uh, nuclear tests. How, how is this going
0: over? I, I hate the word Community in terms of you know the UFO community, but and and it's a it's a very dis, you know disparate group. You've got uh, all sorts of uh, shapes and sizes of people with who approach the topic differently. Yes. But when you when you're going after people like well not going after them, but you, you're you take umbrage with the likes of John Mack, the late John Mack, and Bud Hopkins, the late Bud Hopkins, and Dr. David Jacobs, and the whole alien abduction. Uh, phenomenon. How is this? I mean, are people being hostile to you?
2: I, I haven't had any feedback, so I don't know. I'm expecting that, but uh, nobody's emailed me or contacted me to say uh, yay or nay. Right. But I'm
0: guessing, though, that that um, the people at Mufon must love you because I sense their frustration. With a large sector of this UFO community that 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 have moved it into this sort of new age kind of religious cult. Uh, and you're saying, hey, wait a minute, we have to we have to pull it back. And I know the people yes. at MUFON really want to pull it
2: back. Well, maybe I'll rejoin. I actually was a MUFON member back in 79 and 80 when I started this whole thing. Okay. We were talking about Roswell.
0: And, uh, you know, you, you, again, were taking exception to people referring to Rendlesham Forest UFO incident as Britain's Roswell. You're saying yeah. forget Roswell. Yes. And you're saying... Far that...
2: too much time spent on Roswell. There's, there's so many better cases to investigate.
0: All right. Now, and it's I just mentioned...
2: trying to revive a, a dead horse.
0: Well, I, I mentioned uh, Jesse Marcel Sr., who, who uh, you know, from the Army uh, air, airfield at Roswell, brought home uh, a, a box uh, of artifacts from the debris field yes. near Corona. And his son, Jesse Marcel Sr., or Jr., rather, mm-hmm. the late Jesse mm-hmm. Marcel Jr., recounts how this was all laid out yes. on the kitchen floor in yes. their home. Yes. And he remembers... First of all, he talked about an i beam, seeing an i beam mm-hmm. with a strange mm-hmm. hieroglyph on it. But he also talked about this strange material. It was like a memory material, like a like a like a um, a tin foil. Yeah. But the difference is, though, when you crumpled it up, yes, it would it would bounce back into its original shape. Now we're yes. talking sixty years. Well, ago, yeah, 1947, 70 70
2: that, ago. that was considered amazing. But look, I hope this shows up on the camera. We got the same thing nowadays, which was available probably to the uh, U.S. military back in 1947 for a a 1A classification, the same as the Manhattan Project. This project, Mogul, had the same ranking as the Manhattan Project. And I crunch it up, and voila, regains its shape. More or less, yeah. That's I mean,
0: that's just that's the a bag of like uh, corn chips or something. Corn chips or something. Uh, Okay. So you're saying that that was available seventy years ago.
2: Well, yes. I mean, if you read the material, um, it was balloon material. I mean, even Marcel's children back in the day when, when Jesse Jr. was 11, he said there were three categories of debris, a thick foil-like metallic gray substance, a brittle brownish-black plastic-like material like Bakelite, and there were fragments of what appeared to be I-beams, which actually they were just – balsa wood strips that were not actually an I-beam. That was later recounted. They're just rectangular shape. And here's what um, Brazel, the farmer who found this stuff, his right. 14-year-old daughter said. Again, this is an affidavit from the U.S. Air Force study in 1993, which everyone should read. You just Google USAF Roswell report, and then you won't believe in Roswell anymore. The debris looked like pieces of a large balloon which had burst. The pieces were small, the largest I remember measuring, about the same as the diameter of a basketball. Most of it was a kind of double-sided material, foil-like on one side and rubber-like on the other. Both sides were grayish silver in color, the foil more silvery than the rubber. Sticks, like kite sticks, were attached to some of the pieces with a whitish tape. The tape was about two or three inches wide and had flower-like designs on it. Now I ask you... Does that sound like something you want to try and travel across the universe with? (laughs) (laughs) No.
0: However, uh, a number of witnesses, though, have maintained that they changed stories under duress, that uh, the uh, the sheriff at
2: the time – uh, was under instructions to threaten families? It's, it's all it's all myth. Um, the U.S. Air Force study interviewed Lieutenant Colonel Cavett, who is still alive. Okay. And, and even all the pro Roswell people say that he went out in the debris field with Jesse Marcel Sr. and Rancher Brazel to, to collect this stuff. And he says it was a reflective sort of material like aluminum and some thin bamboo-like sticks. Hmm. It's, a lot of it is just revisionist, and a lot of it is based on the testimony of Frank Kaufman, years and decades later, who was just so full of baloney. Uh, there's pages and pages of that in Flock's book. Just, nobody could believe, believe him. And as a sociologist, it's, it's interesting to trace how this myth arose. Right. Where did, it, where did it start then? It started with two characters named Silas Newton and Leo Jabauer, who rented a lecture hall and charged money to give people the story of a crash-flying saucer with with alien corpses back in 1950.
0: Well, their name name pops up in another UFO incident. That would be in New Mexico, I believe, a year later, the Aztec UFO incident, which we discussed recently on the program.
2: They all got kind of conflated together, these stories, over the years. So first you had Newton and and so-called Dr. G, his real name was Leo Jabbar, who were con artists. One of them was actually, or maybe both of them were actually um, uh, uh, arrested in 1952 for trying to sell a $4 piece of war surplus electronic equipment as an $800,000 oil finder device. So they've got no credibility. And then Frank Scully wrote his book, Behind the Flying Saucers, in 1950, and then a guy named Morris Jessup in 1955 wrote a book called The Case for the UFO. And then a college professor named Robert Carr in 1974 rented a lecture hall and kind of revived the whole story. And this kind of fooled serious ufologists into thinking, oh, this is, this is uh, some old uh, dead story because really there was nothing much about it. Uh, from about 1950 to about 1978, they started going down to Roswell and interviewing people. And that's when the whole thing kind of flared up again. Uh, you know, the, some of the big names, like Leon Stringfield and Stanton Friedman, and then a, a book came out in 1980 by William Moore and Charles Perlitz, the Roswell incident. Right. So the whole thing kind of flared up after many years of it being a, a non-story. And and so the, the myth evolved. And I just, it's very frustrating because there are a lot of more interesting and more modern incidents that the the time and effort could be spent on investigating. And that's why it was originally kind of covered up. The weather balloon story was a cover up.
0: Reduce stress and enhance your immune system. ESS-60 from C60 Evo. C60 is the carbon-60 molecule known to deliver more than 172 times the power of vitamin C, 172 times. ESS-60 is the purest form of C60, a known antiviral, antibacterial, and anti-inflammatory remedy that works. ESS-60 neutralizes free radicals from cell metabolization and external toxins to help minimize inflammation and maximize detoxification. Further, people report better sleep, more energy, and renewed mental clarity when they take our ESS-60 organic oil. To order your miracle molecule ESS-60, click on the C60 Evo link in the episode notes for this podcast, or go to c60evo.com Richard hyphen Serrett. B60EVO.com slash Richard Serrett. Buy now and save 10% by using the coupon code EVRS at checkout. Again, use the coupon code EVRS at checkout.
1: As you're staring up at the night sky, ever wonder who's staring back? No, me either. But I guess he better say it because of Richard, you know, he's all wrapped up in this stuff. (laughs) Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett.
0: Let me ask you about another very well-documented UFO incident. Uh, it's been described as one of the best documented in terms of government documentation, uh, and that would be Canada's own Shag Harbor, 1967. How do you feel about the Shag Harbor UFO incident?
2: Uh, that's uh, pretty convincing to me, and that's for people who aren't really into the topic. That's a USO, not a, as well as a UFO, uh, underwater submersible object, unidentified uh, submersible object. that it, UFOs have been seen going into the water. So I think that's that was uh, you know to the extent that the the evidence is there it's pretty good, and one kind of tiny link I kind of thought of uh, that I mentioned in my book is there was this kind of yellow foam floating around yes. the waters of, of from Nova Scotia off the coast, whereas in Roswell uh, one of the witnesses thought there was some yellow fog on the ground one night. So I thought there might be there might be something to that. All right, not Roswell, Rendlesham. Rendlesham. Okay.
0: Now, um, I want to I want to go back to Rendlesham for a moment because I'm wondering what you think about Jim Peniston's testimony about receiving this binary download. Uh, is you're shaking your head, is I just that where he jumped the shark I tank? Just,
2: uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, it could be. I, I was just researching that just before I came down, actually. And um, I'm like Nick Pope. In, Nick Pope has written an excellent book about Randall Sham, uh, Encounter in Randall Sham Forest. And really, everybody should should read this. It's, it's quite good. And he doesn't know what to make of it either. Um, who knows? I mean, when you see what, it, what binary code was translated into, it kind of looks like a New Age tourist list. Like, here's all the hot spots we'll go and visit, you know, the pyramids and Sedona and stuff. So it, who knows? But you see, for me, even if you put that aside and forget about it, it's still a pretty convincing case.
0: Right, right. And so you think the Aztec UFO incident and Roswell... Uh, are they being used, perhaps, by uh, some—I don't know—shadowy group in order to further discredit the UFO?
2: No, I, issue, I don't think or? so. It's—it's it's, it's become an industry, and even the town of Roswell has an annual sure. festival. It's become a big tourist thing, and it's—it's it's become a, a meme in our society. It's it, the myth. You—you you repeat a story enough times, and people believe it's true. But for the detractors,
0: they'll say, well, look at Roswell. So it it has been, in some quarters, effective in sort of... Well,
2: it's kind of tainted Rendlesham and and the good cases, like the Shag Harbor. You know, people throw everything into one bucket, people who aren't into UFOs. So if if they hear crazy stories about abductions and and a a mogul balloon crash at Roswell... Uh, which is supposedly an alien flying saucer. When you can see photos of the wreckage, uh, maybe, um, Albert could show the, the three photos of the balloon wreckage in General Ramsey's office. I mean, it's obviously a balloon. And, and then to say, oh, well, they switched the photos and they switched the wreckage. I mean, you know, it just, it kind of taints things. Like, it's, it's, I think it's a shame that, as you say, we've kind of gone off the rails at some point.
0: What do you mean by UFO neurosis?
2: Well, uh, I think there's two types. There's uh, cases where people have had their brains scrambled, to, to put it bluntly, by contact with strong electrical forces. Getting hit by lightning, touching a kugelblitz—that's floating ball lightning. Uh, perhaps earthlights. Paul Devereux has speculated there are things called earthlights. Perhaps a close encounter with an alien flying saucer. Perhaps electrical field. They touch it. It affects the mind. It's, you know, a strong electrical field. That's one type of UFO neurosis. The other type applies to people who think they've been abducted. <clears throat> and the reason I've come up with this is because John Mack, and for people who aren't into it, he was a psychiatrist and head of uh, psychiatry at Harvard for a while. And he, be- he, I think he had Stockholm syndrome. He actually believed literally the stories of his patients that they were abducted by aliens. Um, and so he said, Oh, well, this, this is, this is not mental disorder. This is not mental illness. This is real. I've discovered something amazing. And he he wrote a book called Abductions and made lots and lots of money. And so I'm, I'm saying, Well, let's look at this from a psychological viewpoint. And if the existing diagnoses don't fit, let's call it UFO neurosis. But the more I, I study, uh, psychology, the more I think the people that, that he's dealt with and the other people actually could fit into a hysterical neurosis, especially what's called dissociative disorder. So it, it may or may not be necessary to come up with a new diagnosis. But if you believe him and accept other people who say that these people don't fit the established categories of mental patients, there's something weird going on here, but they're not crazy, I say let's have a new diagnosis for them, called it UFO encounter neurosis, to be more precise. Is it, do you think there
0: is any credence to the idea that the abduction phenomena is, has, in some instances, been created as a cover, sort of an
2: intelligence cover story? Well, again, I have to give credit to uh, Professor Terry Matheson. He's retired now. He's a university, he was the University of Saskatchewan English professor who wrote this, this superb book, Alien Abductions. I don't know whether I already showed it on the camera or not, but it's, um, I've relied heavily on it for my book. I will say, once you read this book, you won't believe in abductions anymore. This is really an amazing book, and it's very, very readable. Um so now I lost my train of thought. Well, that's a, no, we, well, let's, <laughs> let's,
0: let's, that's all right. We're, we're, we're covering a lot of here, but let's let's go back to again the abduction phenomena. So, I mean, do you think that 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 um, a certain percentage of these people are simply uh, making it up, or they are oh, fantasy? No, no, prim- now I remember
2: the point. He um, came up with this idea, and and there's evidence to support this that a lot of these people have been sexually abused, and the. The screen memory is the alien abduction. The actual trauma was sexual abuse, and so they've. And this fits with the dissociative disorder. Interesting. Okay, this isn't something that I'm just making up. If you if you read about what what's involved with dissociative disorders, uh, people will hallucinate. They'll, false memories are created. So I think in a lot of cases. Uh, these people are victims of sexual abuse, and they've created this uh, UFO alien abduction thing as a cover story. And for naive researchers to kind of uh, cultivate the abduction alien abduction thing isn't really helping them.
0: Fascinating. See what I mean? Yes, because yes, they're not getting to the core, the, the core problem behind because if you look the at the
2: backgrounds of a lot of these so-called abductees, there is evidence of sexual abuse and trauma. That's fascinating.
0: So you're saying that subconsciously they have created this screen. Uh, so instead of you know talking about this horrible, unspeakable thing that happened to them, their mind has sort of filled in the blanks or created
2: this... Yes, op- especially if they've been egged on by those three... Uh- Suspects, i will call them under the hypno- usual suspects. And under hypnosis. It, it, yes. Uh, you know, it, the, the people we're talking about uh, weren't experts in hypnosis. I mean, uh, they, they were blundering around, and uh, they really shouldn't have been doing it, in my personal opinion. Right. Okay. You They're, wanted to the, to read a, uh, yes, an excerpt from your book. this is from my book. In the Omega Project, psychologist Kenneth Ring uh, found that abductees had compared to a control group more childhood trauma and stress, including abuse... Physical, sexual, emotional neglect. Now, going back to the classic Betty and Barney Hill abduction of 1961 in Professor Matheson's book, he makes a convincing case that after seeing the light, which was actually the planet Jupiter, which we probably don't have time to get into, but it's what, what they saw was the planet Jupiter, the hills were physically and sexually attacked by a group of men. For example, a reading of the original transcript shows that what the Hills saw blocking the road were men, not aliens. And Barney was anticipating a robbery when he worried that he had little money and he was afraid that the fact that he didn't have much money on him would antagonize the assailants. On returning to their car after the so-called abduction into the alien flying saucer, Betty asked him, do you believe in flying saucers now? And he replied, don't be ridiculous, of course I don't. Back home after the experience, he remembers feeling dirty. According to one source, eventually Barney Hill revealed that a quote-unquote sperm sample had been forcibly taken of him, but he didn't want this embarrassing information put in The Interrupted Journey by Fuller, the original edition. Betty Hill claimed that a needle was inserted into her navel. Many other cases in the more recent literature by female abductees involved unwanted insertion of a penis or a tube into their vaginas with warnings to forget what had happened, and these sound like sexual abuse, especially in the case of younger females and possibly guilt-ridden, suppressed sexual fantasies by older females. With girls, in some cases, the event, so-called alien abduction, occurred after they wandered away from their families at picnics or recreation sites into nearby woods, which are a typical place for rapists to lurk. According to two of the Tajunga Canyon contactees, known as Jan and Emily, they were sleeping in their car at the side of a road when approached by aliens. Now, it turns out that Jan had been repeatedly sexually molested by her stepfather since she was age seven. Thus, I believe that sometimes the alleged abduction by aliens was a cover story for a sex attack made up by the confused and traumatized victims. So it's it's not good for them to be kind of reinforcing this this um, alien abduction thing, although I suppose maybe, maybe that is good for them, just to leave it as an alien abduction thing if they're not traumatized by it, because some people aren't. You were talking about the John Mack book. Tell us what you were telling me off the air. When I was writing the book, I contacted the publishers and they explicitly forbade me from quoting anything from John Mack's book, Abductions. And they also said they had clear instructions from his estate, the surviving members of his family, that I was not to quote anything from the book. And Copyright law does allow you to quote small segments for educational purposes, etc. But just to be sure, I contacted Bill Burns, who's well-known in the UFO community. He produced that TV series, and he's a U.S. lawyer, and he agreed with me. He said, well, that's, that's nonsense. You should be able to quote from the book. But I just didn't want to risk a lawsuit or a legal action, so I had to paraphrase everything spend hours paraphrasing. I couldn't even quote what Mac had written in, front of, in his own book. So what, what were they trying to hide?
0: Why do you think they refused to give you permission to, to print
2: direct quotes or direct excerpts from his book. Well, I don't know, but I'm surmising that it was because I was showing him up, as it were. I was saying, how can you as a psychiatrist not look more into the mental health aspects of these these poor people you're supposed to be treating? They came to you for help because they were traumatized, and you just do a Stockholm Syndrome and and buy into the literal truth of their stories. Now, we were talking about uh, UFO neuroses. What, what I mean, what's the
0: takeaway from from this in terms of the the, um, the UFO phenomenon? Let's leave aside the alien abduction phenomena for a moment. Uh, but I mean, what is what is the takeaway here from a sociological perspective? Well, they're not all clearly. You don't believe they're all fabrications or frauds. There are some legitimate
2: ones here. So, what's the takeaway? I, I, it's so hard to simplify it down to 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 one thing, Richard. Um, I, I just I want people to be aware. Uh, speaking as a sociologist now, of how powerful science fiction has been in our culture, going right back to the the 1890s with Jules Verne. Our culture is very very steeped in science fiction. So, as actually Professor Matheson just mentioned when he called in, a lot of people uh, don't realize how much. Television, comic books, pulp magazines, radio shows, movies about aliens have affected them. So it's hard to distinguish for people what's, what's real and what they've picked up from science fiction, etc. Now, because
0: there are credible cases, why not write a book focusing on the credible cases – Rather than say, well, but let's look at the the ones that are not credible. And so, I mean, you're one might perceive you as a debunker, but you're not. But the perception is there because you're, you're writing a whole book that seems to be dedicated to sort of deconstructing the the whole UFO phenomena. Why not write about the credible cases?
2: Uh, credible cases of abduction or uh, oh, no, of, of,
0: of of sightings.
2: Oh, there's been lots of books. That's why I showed Strange Skies at the beginning of the show. I mean, right. this, this is... This no, but is, for you personally, though. Well, I do summarize some of my favorite cases in my book. Right. The book covers many different things. It's not just about what we've mentioned Understood. in this show. And and so I have summarized some of my favorites, like the Captain Coyne incident of 1974 when the helicopter was interacted with the giant UFO. And that's, that, that was not only observed by the four military guys in the helicopter but a passing car with, with two or three people in it saw the whole thing. So how can you say there's there's nothing there when you've got this kind of uh, evidence? Uh,
0: how much credence do you give to the idea that virtually all of these UFO sightings, the credible ones included, uh, what we're talking about here is simply not simply but is can be boiled down to advanced, military, uh, aircraft.
2: excellent point. I'm glad we managed to fit that in. <laughs> I think that from about 1990 on, that's what you're seeing. Uh, you know, they used to say 10% of cases were unexplained and now i think because of the advanced us aircraft it's 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 like a, a insignificant percentage there's there's so many amazing us aircraft flying around since roughly 1990 the us has had ufo's i mean flying saucers and drones since 1980 So uh, mostly, what people are seeing now are, I think, the advanced U.S. aircraft. So I'm saying, let's not waste our time rushing around, uh, you know, trying to check out every new sighting because the chances are it can be explained prosaically or by advanced U.S. aircraft. Let's let's focus on the earlier cases and try and build a science out of this. What about the Kenneth Arnold? Let's go back, uh, you know, to 1947, the Kenneth Arnold
0: sighting, which is, uh, you know, happened. before Roswell, yeah. before the Aztec.
2: Yeah, that started the whole craze. And what's interesting about that is what he saw was not flying saucers. He saw flying crescents or boomerangs or, or hoe-shaped vehicles. Uh, they look like the Batarang, actually, if you're a Batman fan, the <laughs> Batman boomerang. And he described the motion as a saucer skipping over water. And yet after he said that everybody started seeing flying saucers. So that shows you from sociological perspective how once the idea gets out there, even though he never saw a flying saucer, he saw something different. All of a sudden people started seeing them and then you got this Roswell thing and right flat on the bottom, dome on the top. That yeah, has become the what iconic image. Saw. Yeah, yeah. Later on people saw or claimed they saw things like that. But he was describing the motion, not the shape. Interesting, interesting distinction. And
0: uh, and what about the, the the Arnold sighting itself? I mean, is it credible? Oh,
2: who knows? I I, I don't know. It's, people are going to debate that forever. What Very about, strange. I mean, I don't. Surely the U. S. didn't have anything that advanced back then. That's why it, I think the earlier sightings up to about 1990 are like the golden era, and now. Uh, almost certainly anything you look at is, is going to be explained by uh, advanced U.S. aircraft. Give us another example of what you think is a credible UFO sighting. Well, there was that whole thing in 1990 over Belgium. And I have to point this out. In the first edition of my book, I got suckered by a photograph. I said, finally, we've got a really good photograph. And uh, since that edition came out, it turned out that was a fake. So I want to emphasize that to people in the second edition. I say, I'm really sorry that I I said, now we've got this great photograph. It was a, a model based on what people had seen. Okay, but, but the Belgian... But the incident itself, I mean, you had uh, fighters chasing these things around, you had them on radar, you had thousands of people watching, it went on for hours. And th- that, I don't think, could have been a secret U.S. plane, because why would you show it off like that? It's supposed to be secret. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, what about the uh, the Phoenix Lights? Well, there again, many, many witnesses, photographs, movies... Uh, the Air Force explanation that it was flares is just silly. Um, I think I don't know. If I had to guess, I would say it's probably advanced U.S. given the, the location. You know, it's not not far from Groom Lake, Nevada, etc. You know, Stephenville lights. Oh, just while I think of something, um, there's been some speculation that the Rendlesham yep. was an early F one seventeen. And I I double-checked that today in preparation, and the the sighting was December 26, 1980. The first, very first prototype of the F-117 didn't fly until June 1981, six months later. And all the early flights were around Groom Lake. They sure sure weren't in Britain. All right. And the the craft aren't really that similar. If you look at the drawings of Penniston and a photo of the F-117, they're not really similar.
0: Aliens and UFOs. How do people get the book?
2: Just go to www.booklocker.com slash 5920. Randy, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thanks for having me.
1: A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now.